Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Extreming Disney, the podcast focused on all things Disney+. Plus. I am your host, Peter Eklund, and on this week's show, we get to kick back, pop open a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and throw on some Saturday morning cartoons. To do that this week, I welcome on a new guest and co-host for the show. For this week in particular, he was actually my first roommate. Um, I had him, or he had me, when I was straight out of high school, and I set out for the great new big world of Rockford, Illinois. Um, Jerry McCarty. Jerry, thank you for coming on to this week's show. Yeah, for sure, man. This is great. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, so Jerry, yeah, he had the luxury or he had the ability or I don't know what word to really attach to it. The He was lucky enough to have me as a roommate when I was, you know, all prior to that. All I had was my family, my parents as roommates. And so Jerry got me <laughs> fresh out of upstate New York to live with. And he was a, a year ahead of me. So he was kind of the the pseudo dad of the, the apartment. So <laughs> I was he, very he had to lucky put up to, with me quite a bit. Very lucky to have you, Peter. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's very nice for you to say. I, I think you're just buttering <laughs> me up, honestly. Um. Before we get too far into the show, I, I do have to let my listeners know that I'm I'm kind of nursing a little bit of a head cold. It kind of just hit me this afternoon. All of a sudden, I was just working and bam, it was like a ton of bricks, like a wall just that I ran into. And so my throat's a little bit sore. I got the sniffles a little bit. Um, we, Me and Jess, we think it's just a head cold. I am going to get tested tomorrow just to make sure, just to have that insured um that it's not covid so be thinking of me tomorrow as i as i get tested to make sure that i don't have this um pandemic disease uh, upon me so mm. just to forewarn you all be thinking of me anyway jerry um tell the listeners a little bit about yourself what are you up to these days who are, who are you what are you doing yeah well uh i currently work with a, an organization that helps people serve in their community. And so we do training in different places around the world. I'm currently in Quito, Ecuador, um, which is not the place I imagined that I would be during the pandemic. Can you say that again? It got a little broken up for me. What did you, where are you? I'm in Quito, Ecuador. Nice. Yeah. So uh, the short story is a buddy of mine um, from the States was dating someone from Europe. And they started dating right before the pandemic hit. And for six months, they couldn't see each other. They were, she was stuck in Europe. He was stuck in the States. And they were trying to figure out how to see each other. And they found out that the only country in South America that was actually open to allow tourists from both of those countries to come and visit was Ecuador. And That so, is so funny. Yeah, it was crazy. And so they gave me this call like in July, hey, man. Do you want to come down to Ecuador with us? <laughs> so an unexpected what, trip brought me. What's so crazy about that? I'm sorry to interrupt your story. I actually have a friend who's down there meeting his girlfriend for the first time. She's coming in from Italy. Oh, no He's way. coming down there right now, you know, in order to spend, get to meet her physically for the first time. So it's just like, yeah, Ecuador is the place to be, apparently, you know? <laughs> there you go. The land of love down here in Ecuador. <laughs> so are you are you finding love currently in Ecuador, Jerry? Still still searching, still searching <laughs> but having a great for... time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. I'm glad that you're having a good time down there, man. 
Um, yeah, so Jerry, um, man, we've been friends for a while. I think we're, we've been friends since 2004. So that's that's like yeah. 15 years right there, man, pretty yeah. much. So I, I feel so happy to have Jerry come on. I'm excited to see everything that he's been doing in the world um, through the ministry that he works with. Um, I actually got to have Jerry come on and, and do a little teaching this summer with some of the students that I do ministry with. And that was super cool. And they still talk about that. So okay. I just I've always feel, felt so blessed to have you as a friend, man over all these crazy years no for sure man it's it's quite a journey you know when you're when you're trying to go and and follow uh by faith (laughs) the doors that open up but it's uh it's a great one you know it's the best journey possible and so it's a blessing when uh when our paths cross even for fun things like today yeah um before we get too far into this week's episode i have to talk shop for a second I have received a review on Apple Podcasts, um, and with that, I want my listeners to know that when you leave a review, it will go a long way to actually help the podcast um, just in the future and being able to find more listeners, and it will keep us on the air. And so also with that, when you leave a review, I will read the review on air. So this is actually a shout out that goes out to Liam Seeley. Um, he had this to say, this podcast is amazing. Thank you, Liam. Um, never stop making episodes. Sometime I want to be on it. I can't stop listening to it. Thanks for making this podcast. Well, you're welcome, Liam. Um, and thank you for leaving your thoughts and keep listening to the show. Um, I actually know Liam personally. He's he is um, he's a kid in our youth group over here in our church, and he came up to me a couple weeks ago and was like, "I've been listening to it nonstop, and I love it." And it was just it was that was a really cool thing to hear. Um, and yeah, Liam in the future, it'll be really cool to have you come on to the show. I would love to actually, he's a big MCU fan. So maybe I'll try to get him to come on with his dad or something. Cause we are always talking about it. And he's actually friends with my two nephews who were on a couple, uh, like maybe a month ago at this point. So now, now Jerry with hearing that review, um, does, does, does it make you want to listen to this podcast more? Absolutely. That is a great review. Great. Great recommendation. Looking to start episode one. Wonderful. Yeah, I think this really is actually would be something really up your alley, honestly. I, I tailor made this podcast for you, Jerry. Thank you, Peter. Okay. All right, man. I'll and, be diving in. <laughs> <laughs> and what's great about this episode, Jerry, you're coming in on to my fifth Saturday morning cartoon episode. This is just mm. like really just the easiest podcast to talk about, you know, because it's just like and we're just going to be talking about what we love about cartoons growing up and even now. And you get to join the elite club that talks about Saturday morning cartoons. That includes mutual friends of ours, Patrick Johns. Mm. You know, that legend. guy legend. Um, that guy just celebrated a birthday. We should just, you know, give him a, a shout out as well and say happy birthday, Patrick. Yeah, um, man. Happy birthday. He'll be, <laughs> he'll be coming on again in the future. And I think in the next month or so, um also cj campbell he's been on the show another legend oh my goodness that's awesome and then finally um our good friend tim whitaker he's been on the show whoa dream himself wow you 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 scored tim whitaker i know podcast (laughs) legend tea time awesome (laughs) (laughs) it's like i'm getting the whole i'm gonna i'm gonna just make my rounds with the Jersey crew, man. 
We'll get Eddie P on here. We'll get Ant. We'll we'll get you all you guys on here. That'd be great. We we love our cartoons <laughs> in Jersey. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. So something about our age group. I don't know. Do you find that like we in our particular age group just like look back at cartoons with a little bit more of a nostalgia since we. I think we got it probably a little bit more sparingly and it was a little bit more special for us. I don't know. What do you think? I think so. I think probably those who are a little bit older than us feel the same way. But I think the 90s was like this in-between moment for cartoons where you had like 70s and 80s where it was going from pretty cheesy and then the cheese was starting to wear off a little bit. And then the '90s started to mature, and the in some of the like the action cartoons, you know, that are that are pretty uh, classic now. Uh, but I feel like then then things just got really weird for a while. Yeah. Like everything just went on like, you know, sugar rushes or something like that, and just went all over the place. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll watch cartoons with my nephews here and there. Like if I'm hanging out with them at my my mom's house, and they'll put on something like gumball or whatever and <laughs> i i i don't know what the heck is going on it's just it's so bizarre and freaky and i just don't i don't get it i i feel like such an old man you know i have so my my friend has two daughters and and i've seen uh, a couple episodes of gumball with them and it is crazy but it is pretty funny. I have enjoyed it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, but nothing, well, nothing like the nostalgia that you're talking about with these '90 cartoons. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, yeah. that cartoon in particular was pretty bonkers, you might say. Oh boy! <laughs> but not like bonkers like today. Yeah. You see what I you see what I did there, Jerry? I, I did. Or, I did. Yeah. I, 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 I can see you appreciate that sense of humor. Um. Well, let's get <laughs> on to talking about cartoons. I mean. Jerry, how, what was it like for you watching cartoons as a kid? Oh, man. I mean, Saturday morning in particular was that time, you know. I hated waking up. I wasn't a, you know, I wasn't a morning person at all. But Saturday morning hit. There were some classic, there was a classic lineup, especially Fox Kids. And um, then ABC had the Disney ones. And mm-hmm. it's, they're they're all under one roof now with the Disney Plus. So that that ties back into to your podcast, you know, so you have some great content. Um, but there are some great stuff. And, and, and even the afternoon cartoons, I think a lot of the Disney um, Disney cartoons were in the afternoon uh, during the week. I remember seeing Darkwing Duck and Tailspin and everything. Mm-hmm. But there, it was just great. Really entertaining. Really fun. Loved it. Yeah, you know, what's funny is I was thinking about this when you said waking up early. I would wake up early in order for school during the weekdays. But I would wake up earlier to watch Saturday morning cartoons on Saturday. Like I'd have my, I would leave a note for my dad and he would, he would wake me up and man, there was something like there were cartoons that I would wait. Okay. This is going real back. This is going way back. Mm. I would wait and I would see like those, those color bars and just wait in front of my screen until the national (laughs) anthem would start off to like kick off everything. And then, I had some weird, bizarro cartoons that w- that were on prior to the real cartoon block that you really cared about. And I would watch those because I just wanted to get as many cartoons as possible. I remember there was like this steampunk 
Sherlock Holmes huh. thing where they had like flying cars and stuff and it made really no sense at all. And that's actually also how I got around to seeing my first episodes of Dragon Ball Z. They were, they were throwing mm-hmm. Dragon Ball Z episodes on there. Yep. And so yep. it was just, it was such a cherry pick of just weird stuff, you know? But, yeah. No, I, I, I found anime later in the 90s, but Dragon Ball Z was one of those where they, they showed some pretty lame episodes early on, and then it, then it really ramped up from there. Um, but yeah, they had, they had some, you remember Life with Louie? It was a random oh, yeah. one that they had on. Yeah, they had some, they had some good stuff. But then, they, then, you know, you had Cartoon Network going on, and that started, um, from what I remember, that started up in the 90s and brought back a lot of the classics and introduced some anime and brought everything together. And that kind of held you over, you know, mm-hmm. um, from, from Saturday morning cartoons that you had to wait for the prime line up there. So you, you lived some posh life that I did not have because I didn't have Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon. I, I only had like four channels growing up. So now most of the time, deprived. that's what I had too. I only had, I only had the few channels. I had a friend named Shane. I would go to his house and we'd have Cartoon Network on. And a couple of years later, we ended up grabbing the Cartoon Network. But yeah, no, I know what you're talking about, man. You only had the few channels to begin with. Well, you were talking about, you know, the nineties was this prime time of just like goofy, cheesy, weird stuff. And also we got cartoons that were like the action packed, serious things. And I think Mm. that's actually a good segue into talking about the two cartoons we'll be covering for this week's episode. Um, First off, we're going to actually talk about X-Men, the animated series. It took this long to talk about one of my favorite cartoons growing up Um, for this um, we watched actually parts one and two from the season two premiere and it's titled till death do us part. You know, what's funny is I just got to say this. Um, you know what? I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, I'm going to hold off when we get to the memories of the show. Um, but I'm just going to take everybody through. If you don't know, if you're not familiar, just the premise of this series, it's probably pretty familiar to most of us at this point, especially with the movies and whatnot. But this is based on the comic book series from Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, which was probably more popularized um, in Chris Claremont's run. Um, The X-Men are a team of superpowered heroes who are born with the powers and abilities that they each have. Um, They're known as mutants, and they face off against other superpowered villains, other mutants, um, as well as regular humans who fear and misunderstand them. Um, And so this show touches upon big themes of prejudice, and discrimination um and so it's it's definitely more mature in that way while also you're seeing wolverine like slash and kick butt so um jerry what are your memories of this show man because i think you and i both were in prime age for this at our age man this was one of my favorite shows growing up period now you had some of the more popular um, you know, shows that had like mania behind them. You know, you had Ninja Turtles and um, Power Rangers and some of that when when we were pretty young. But um, this was one of those shows where there was something special about this show. There was something like emotional. There was something um, that was um, captivating about the characters and the stories that they would tell. So I loved this show growing up. It was one of my favorites. It was like when, when we talk about Saturday morning cartoons, this was the cartoon 
you know, if I could watch one cartoon on Saturday morning, it was this one. I had to catch X-Men, the animated series. Yeah. Um, I wish I had Fox that I was able to watch these live, but I was such a fan of this show that I actually collected the VHS tapes. And I remember it's, it got kicked off because I think obviously it was around the time of the height of the popularity of this show, but Pizza Hut ran some kind of special where they gave out, if you came in, a VHS tape um, with two episodes on there. And I had the the part one and two of season one, where it was the Night of the Sentinels. Yep. And, I mean, that just kicked me off to collecting all of them eventually. Well, I mean, through season one, they kind of petered off later on in season two in that format of VHS tapes. But I would watch these over and over again. I just loved it. I loved the characters. Um, I think one thing I really love about this show is that it's so earnest, you know, and it never, it never like talks down to kids mm. and it makes, you know, it has us as kids look at and talk about pre- some pretty adult um, aspects, you know? Yeah. And so I just, I loved how earnest it was and it was an action show for kids. Mm-hmm. with spectacular characters you know yeah absolutely uh, so you may have you know had your own vhs tapes of shows or movies that were recorded off tv right oh, yeah. you know and then you can replay it and oh, i remember yeah. for christmas one year my aunt had recorded an entire six hour extended play vhs tape of all x-men episodes and That's she amazing. sat there and recorded and and skipped the commercials for me and recorded six hours of x-men and that was probably one of the best christmas gifts i've ever received as a kid growing up that's awesome i have that but for winnie the pooh (laughs) (laughs) which i still love i love winnie the pooh it's like (laughs) winnie the pooh and x-men are my two favorite cartoons so yeah yeah very very (laughs) similar (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah tigger Beast, I mean, similarities are endless. Yes. No, this, this, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the show. Um, I'll have a lot of comments, uh, you know, throughout our review and everything. But yeah, there was something just like you were talking about where they weren't afraid to deal with like real life issues. And, you know, one of the things you notice right away is that there, there really aren't any kids in the show. You know, you have Jubilee, um, who's, you know, a teenager somewhere. Um, but that's it. Everyone else is an adult with their problems that they're going through. And as a kid, you know, they find a way to bridge, you know, a kid's understanding and real, you know, challenges and, and like you're saying, discrimination and all these things that that you're able to, you know, translate for that younger audience. Yeah. And and honestly too, I think you basically can pluck this out of the Jim Lee run, Mm. which was the height of comic books in the nineties as well with, with um, they split off into the two comic book series with uncanny X-Men and then also X-Men. And they had like almost two different teams. And when Jim Lee's art on the X-Men and you can just, you can see the influence of Jim Lee's art on this series. And it was just like a perfect storm of X-Men. And I think honestly, it's why for me, I'm a comic book fan, but also as I'm a collector as well, what I collect is X-Men. Yep. That that's what I primarily that's what I focus on. 
as far as my comic book collecting. And I can hinge it back to my brother was a fan of this show or was a fan of the comics. And I think he introduced me to the show, but also from there, just the show taking me through growing up, you know? Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you had, like you were saying, Chris Claremont's run of the X-Men, which just launched them into popularity because it had, had almost essentially failed, you know, for a while. And then revamp Chris Claremont and his team into the nineties. And so, um, you had that you had a lot of stories to work with, a lot of characters that were developed at that point. Um, you had you know the blue and gold teams that were starting up in the in the comics at that point. Um, that you know you see some of the uh, that the artistry, like you're saying, um, Larry Houston, I, I think, was the artist that that took um, the comic uh, drawings and brought them and translated them into. Uh, the cartoon, which was great because they're so iconic. You know, every single character has this distinct feel and look. Um, and so he, he did a, he did an amazing job uh, there bringing it to life for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't, I can't agree with you more on that. It's, it's, it's so rich and it's the colors. It just popped. And it, honestly, I was in so much love with this show that when the first movie came out, I didn't like the movie. Because it, mm. where's the yellow and blue Wolverine costume? Where's the Cyclops with his weird, you know, cross patch, you know, with his with the X in the middle? Like I was, I was disappointed with the look and the feel because I was so accustomed and used to what I grew up with. Ultimately, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have okay, so you have uh, Eric Luwald, like he's the showrunner. I think Luwald, something like that. He and his wife, you know, were yeah. really the showrunners for this. And they worked together with uh, a, a Fox executive, uh, where, where I forget her name, but she was responsible for that whole block of Fox kids in the morning. And they were really trying to pitch this, you know, as a more mature, uh, you know, TV show that was still for kids, you know, and, and the executives are saying, no, you know, this won't work. You can't do it. And uh, one of the things that they did is they gave them the whole voice cast. When they finally greenlit the show, they gave them the whole voice cast and Eric fired everyone on day one he fired the entire cast and he went up to toronto which was like one of the hubs for shakespearean plays and Mm -hmm. he he did auditions and hired the entire cast from like that's who are stage actors and that brings that dramatic voice that you hear Mm -hmm. you know in all the characters to uh, a more dramatic show that that fits so perfectly um but that's what led into the popularity of the show is what led into Fox considering actually making the movies later on. And they say that Brian Singer to prepare for those movies actually watched this series just to like get his head around the characters. But I I do agree. Like you were saying, like they did pick that, you know, like black leather look that, you know, was a little bit different than what we grew up with this cartoon. Yeah. I mean, my, my fanboy heart was a little broken at that point, but X-Men two made everything better. And I honestly, I'm looking at the cast list when you're talking about that. And I was thinking as I was writing these names down in the outline, I don't know any of these guys. So you saying that these guys are all just plucked out of, you know, the, the stage, you know, scene up in Toronto totally makes sense. Yeah. Because Chris Potter, Allison Seeley Smith, Norm Spencer, Cathal J. Dodd, like who I don't I've never heard these these names, you know, since or after, you know, um, do you have a favorite character from the show? 
Well, here's the thing. Okay, Wolverine is such an iconic character. But I think this show really brought Wolverine out in such a great way. Now, personally, I think Wolverine was like way overused in every medium after this, you know, in the movies and the comics and all that. Like, I felt like just too much of a good thing, you know, a little bit. He's like on every Avengers team now, right? (laughs) In the comics. Um, But I loved him as part of the ensemble. I loved him like fitting in with this cast. And I, I thought it was perfect. And uh, back to the voice actors, you know, I think his voice, you know, is so iconic, so perfect as Wolverine. Um, really, all these, you know, one of my notes was just that all these characters, uh, all the voice actors nailed it. They nailed mm-hmm. the characters. Um, and a quick note that's kind of fun. So Rogue's voice is so iconic from this, you know, that Southern, uh, Southern Belle, you know, kind of uh, voice, uh, voiced by Lenore Zan. Um she went on to actually get into politics. And uh, so she's a, she's a politician up in Canada. Um, but one of the things that I, I heard is that her voice is the same. She doesn't put on a voice to do rogue. It's actually her voice. Somehow that's her voice. And uh, but that's crazy. Yeah. She's on to do that. That. Um, yeah. Wolverine for sure. His voice, like you said, is so iconic. Um, I love Beast on the show, honestly. Yeah, like yeah. he's he's not in season one as much, but he he always has this gravitas about him that I always found great. And and another fan favorite from the show that I don't think anybody would be as much of a fan of if it was just the comics alone is Gambit. Mm. You know. Um, speaking of Rogue, though, I got to show you something. This is not going to be. This is unfortunate for my listeners, but I got to show it so Jerry sees this. Um, I got this through Bambox in the mail um, maybe a month ago. It's a print of Rogue from the comics what? signed by Lenore Zan. So, wow. Yeah. So, where'd you get I that? Have, what's that? <laughs> where'd you get that? Bambox. Bambox. It's one of those subscription boxes. It deals with a lot of autographs. I have both Michelangelo and Donatello from the, the series of the, the, the TV show. Anyway, we, we've gone a long time. Um, I want to get into the, the, this particular episode, um, Jerry, but before we do that, there's one thing I have to say. Possibly the best opening to any show, hands yep. down, ever. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, man. So it's the good. crown. It's it has the crown. I love the opening credit scenes. I love that it uses it shows you each character and does something unique with each of them in the opening thing with their name and it's just it's so cool. Yeah, and it's and it rocks. And it's and it definitely has this feel of the comic book coming to life. Like yeah. that's what it that's what it portrays in every single clip in that opening so good and then that classic of the the heroes and the villains facing off and running towards each other at the end and smacking into each other so good love and you get the previously on x-men boom which is the title of eric luold's book that he wrote about this show previously x-men i do have the book yes oh my gosh (laughs) man dude i'm gonna have to borrow that from you at some point okay so in in I want to get from you a short synopsis from this episode. No more than 30 seconds. You don't have to get into 
excruciating details of, you know, what happens. We can get into that in a minute here, but go ahead. Sum up this, this episode for everybody or okay. these two episodes. Here you go. Premiere of season two. You have the, the big moment, which is Scott and Jean's wedding. Um, boom. That happens. You have uh, the return of a character, a really significant moment, which is Morph and his whole brainwashing that is happening with Mr. Sinister, who's also introduced and revealed throughout this this two-part episode. You have the Friends of Humanity, which are rallying against mutants and being the, the portrayal of this discrimination. And, uh, and you have the team that has to overcome all the mind games that happen throughout the whole time with, with dealing with Morph, who they thought um, was dead, you know, and, and, and now they're having to deal with the, the, the fallout of his uh, influence by Mr. Sinister. Yeah, that, that was really well done, man. I, good job. <clears throat> so let's, let's break this down a little bit more. We have the, the huge moment. You know, I remember this in the comic books when this happened, but we have Scott and Jean's wedding. Mm. That opening sequence is amazing. I mean, when I was watching that, I just, you know, I jotted down some notes that it was just so well done. And it also is a great example of what we were talking about with themes that you wouldn't normally find in a kid's show. You know, of like someone having to work out their rage and the and the anger that they're feeling of the person they're in love with marrying someone else, and you're seeing that. You know, you're seeing that in the X Men of Wolverine, uh, like attacking Cyclops, and there's a shot of him putting the claws into him, and it turns out to be a robot. But it's like, oh man, this is it's crazy. so insane. Like can't, uh, being so bitter and so aggressive on a dude's wedding day that you go into your training simulation thing where you kill him. Yeah. And flashing back and forth, even just the storyboarding of that, it was just perfect. Um, Because at the beginning, you you don't even know what's happening. You think they're really fighting and you don't know if it's a flashback or something. And then you realize it's happening, you know, and Wolverine's all dressed up for the wedding, but didn't show. He stayed back and worked out his rage. In the and yeah and honestly my question is is he a groomsman because he's wearing what all the other guys are wearing can you imagine if like you know your groomsman down the line doesn't show up because he is he is that has that much pent-up aggression <laughs> yeah um but it's also there that we see morph is back he mm. um he pretends to be the priest um and then you can see him walking off from the church and he changes into Morph. And Morph is a character who died back in the first episode. They basically introduced him in episode one of season one just to basically kill him off. But he had such a fan response that everybody loved him that they brought him back onto the show. Well, right. And, and this is part of the agreement from with the showrunners when they were doing that. They, when they were pitching this show, they said, we actually want to kill off a character in the first episode. And they went back and forth with the executives about this. And they finally agreed that and said, you can do that, but eventually you do have to bring him back. Like <laughs> in cartoons in the United States there, you know, you can't just kill somebody off, I guess. Um, but they said, okay, you know, and they, and they did that. And you, and you really felt the way of that emotional impact in the, in the pilot oh, yeah. episodes, which is why oh, yeah. this is such a huge reveal right in this moment. Yeah. And one one thing that I like one thing that they do with him where they make his like eyes um 
dark, like just around his eyes. And I'm just like, that totally freaked me out when I was younger. Yeah. I remember that. He just, he's like multiple personality or switching between, you know, trying to grapple with who is he really and why is he doing the things he's doing? Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, do you want to talk about the, um, yeah, Mr. Sinister, um, you want to talk about him a little bit and his yeah. influence well, over Morph? Well, the one thing I'll say before that is that the, the one other emotional kind of moment we have, um, for the wedding is Jean going to the X mansion after the wedding in her wedding dress and talking to Wolverine, who's like destroyed by the danger room. And it's like, oh man, they keep it going. You know, like they keep the, the this emotional weight going throughout this. Like that's crazy. And she goes, I have to go get to Scott. Like, yeah. why do you Scott's even show up? For me. Yeah, why do you even show up, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, Mr. Sinister, man, what a a great villain that they they just portrayed really well throughout this series. Um, You know, for for me, this was the first introduction to X-Men. I didn't really read the comics at that point or anything. So I'm getting to know these characters. And and Sinister was a great recurring villain. You know, obviously, he just has this insanely evil look to him. Um, But he's so weird with all the the sciencey stuff that he's trying to do you're not even quite sure what he's even capable of what his powers are they're like well, the writers defined. didn't even know in the time of the comic books what he was what his <laughs> powers were and who he was mm. they just made him look gnarly and evil and then never really knew what to do with him <laughs> right the sharp keep going yeah no but it, it, it was a, it's a great reveal you know that when they finally show like this is the new big baddie we're we're introducing at the beginning of season two yeah because he's he's the puppet master you know mm-hmm. through season two he's the one who's kind of pulling the strings to all the major stuff that's happening he's and in the comics he is that invisible hand that you don't never actually really see firsthand a lot of times and he's kind of manipulating events he's you know his his genesis kind of comes out of apocalypse in a lot of ways so there's some there's some things there i actually for this episode i had to go back and do some research on the character just to kind of familiarize myself because there's some things that i was like okay i don't remember why that's the case and then the answers that were out there were not very conclusive so i was just like oh well okay um that's not helpful at all (laughs) now Um, now was he was he introduced in the 90s in the comics like was he a fresh character no, in the '90s, in the comics, he was okay. Because um, he was he was all um, behind the whole thing with Madeline Pryor and mm, right. um, the um, what is it, Mutant Massacre? He's the one who was in charge of the Marauders that went in and killed the Morlocks. Um, he Crazy. kind of was the puppet master behind Scott meeting Madeline Pryor, who was a clone to Jean Grey. She was Jean was dead at this point. Um, and then also Inferno, which was about, you know, Madeline Pryor becoming the Goblin Queen. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of stuff. Those He's just some, that. Yeah, those are some huge, iconic uh, X-Men comic moments from the 90s. Totally, totally. So he was a major villain for X-Men and X-Factor, X-Force, all of them. Man, I'm, I'm really nerding out. Both <laughs> of us are. <clears throat> um, yeah, so it's funny because, man, in this, they really escalate his his look too to make him even look worse than in the comics like his teeth are like shark teeth you know like man that's his dentist must not have an an easy time with that 
Um, but as as he is the main antagonist of this season, we really see the introduction of Friends of Humanity being a major antagonistic force, you know, with their leader, um, Graydon Creed, um, for the X-Men as well. And this is humanity. This is humans. And this is when they really get to dive into discrimination and fear and some prejudice, you know, towards mutants from regular humans you know so it, it, this is really really start to to really go in that direction full force right the friends of the humanity it's it's helpful they're helpful as characters in the sense of like they're they're showing this prejudice that kind of is always lingering for the x-men that that they're they don't fit in and you know they're different um so they they do convey that really well just kind of as this like random uh hate group um they're they're not too interesting i would say as a group though you know they're just they're they're un, you're, they're unsympathetic you know you don't really kind of get them at all um but they do they do allow that backdrop to happen for for that story to that narrative it's, to develop and it's it's more about what they represent right yeah you know um and i i wrote i wrote this down from the episode when they when we first see them lashing out i had to write down some of the script and jubilee says i don't understand professor why have things gotten worse? And he says, when we saved Senator Kelly's life last year, he learned that not all mutants were evil. Now his followers feel betrayed. So often in our history, unhappy, misguided people have created scapegoats, blaming those who are different for the problems in their own lives. And then Storm says, it's, a, it's an evil in men's heart that must be fought. If we stand up up to the troublemakers, they will have to give up their cruel designs. If we fail, their intolerance will grow and many could perish. I mean, <laughs> is there anything right now more applicable to like what we're even seeing within our country right now? Like, I couldn't help but make the correlation as, you know, we're seeing protests happening and, and people who are cross-protesting, you know, and just like seeing the correlation, even with like as Gambit, Wolverine and Beast are facing off against some bigots, you know, on the series. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And how there's sometimes that spin too. you see the media make and saying, oh, my gosh, look, that mutant has a gun, you know, and it's just like, right. oh, it's hard to watch it without bringing in current events into it. Yeah. And, you I mean, know, these these were written in the 60s. Right. The original comics. And then right. you have this show coming out in the early 90s and you still have these these themes that are so applicable. And I would say for any kid growing up watching it, just like, you know, now that they can like on Disney Plus, you know, that there's a place for it. You know, they're, they're still going to pick up on these things of like it's important to stick up for each other. It's important to um, to come together and not allow people to, to push people around for being different. And you have you have such a, a great way, like Professor X, like dives in deep there, you know, and so does Storm in like really unpacking some like, you know, societal challenges and problems that people face. And and you have a you have a platform for that in the X-Men. You know, what a what a what a great win <laughs> for, yeah, for writing. A show. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Jerry, let's get into some of the antics that morph um, kind of brings all this chaos amongst the team. Because that's pretty much where we end off. And I think, honestly, that is probably my favorite part in this whole episode, is seeing how he just 
sprinkles all these little situations in and puts our heroes in some like major problems each of them yeah i think that's what's that's what's great about having characters and having a world where you have a variety of powers is that you can really use them to tell stories and bring out um you know the the conflicts and relationships and all the tension that that is there and this is just a great example of like how to do that like you don't just use morph as someone who can change in a fight and punch someone with a different looking fist like the psychological storyline that they that they work here is perfect because you have a whole season that's built up of the tension between rogue and gambit you have uh jubilee as the youngster who's still trying to see if you know, she can find her place and her insecurities that are out there. And you then you have Morph and, you know, the, as they write this story, he just goes through and exposes everyone, you know, and just causes the chaos, um, you know, just it's so perfectly written. And I think that's the best way that you can use this kind of world is use people's um, abilities and powers or whatever they are to actually tell good stories, which is what they do here. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> What's interesting, I got a couple things to add. Apparently, they wanted to keep Wolverine out of that whole situation because he would have been able to smell Morph immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they took him out of the mansion while Morph was doing all of that. Right. So that's one I thought was interesting. Second, I didn't get this joke when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I get it now. When Morph is about to go into the mansion, he goes, making copies, which is a reference to Saturday Night Live. Oh. Rob Schneider would have this character. He was the copy guy, and he would be in like the copy room at an office and be like, making copies. <laughs> you know, he would just like <laughs> hassle everybody coming in, but he was this lonely, pathetic man. And seeing a reference from that on this, I'm like, I finally get that joke. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, and what a, a great way to connect together Wolverine's personal pain with the wedding, but also with, you know, making sure there's not that plot hole of oh but wolverine would have smelled him if he was at the wedding you know so it's it's a great way to have yeah. both of those exist yeah. yeah it's incredibly smart it's an incredibly smart way of of just writing and and charting and i think that is one thing even from episode to episode the creators were just so good at charting a path forward you know yeah um and i think um, i just want to touch on this again one of the reasons why I think I in particularly love this series and love just comic books, cartoons, whatever, is that I love that you have the combined thing where everybody has similarities, but they also have differences. And what's similar is that they're all mutants. But what's different is that they all have different abilities and talents and they can use that to really um, complement each other. And I think for me, that was kind of even God was using that um, in some kind of ingrained ways for me to be like the love that I have for the church. And I can see that even with the X-Men and just I get goosebumps even just thinking about the dynamics of the teams and and how they get to work together. And so I think X-Men was the start of all that. <clears throat> yeah, I used to, I, anyway. I, I used to uh, uh, teach at a school um, and I would I would talk about the X-Men um, because, uh, you know, I, I would say like. In the in the X Men world, you have people who are super naturally powered, right? They have like superpowers, but they're in a school to learn how to use them to become superheroes. 
you know, and so I, I would I would share with that with the students of like, you all have these giftings, you know, God has created you in a very unique way. But what's the difference between you just be having a bunch of potential and you actually using those like superpowers to help other people? So, yeah, same with me, man. I love that. I love those connections there that that X-Men provides. Oh. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, I have one little funny note is, um, <clears throat> oh, a couple different things. So Gambit's mask, I was just looking at it in this episode. It was like, have we ever seen anybody pull off that kind of a mask that he wears throughout <laughs> the series? Yeah, I mean, you see in another episode that it's part of like the outfit that the the thieves wear all together. But yeah, there's still no there's still no need for it. There's still no need for a lot of things he wears. You know, those like knee high uh, metal shin guards or something. Yeah, <laughs> I was hearing. Did you? Okay, this is a total side note. But did you know that Robert Pattinson on the set of the Batman got COVID? Really? No, I didn't. Well, and it was so funny. He's like, of course he got it. I heard somebody say this. Of course he got it. He had everything else covered up but his mouth <laughs> for the costume. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, anyway, like, yeah, there's no mistaking. Like, he puts on the mask. He's like, now you don't know who I am. No, you still very much see his his face. Okay. Um, and then also when, when he kisses Rogue and she's carrying him into... You know, it was like, oh my gosh, I got, he kissed me and he's passed out and now I have his powers. Carrying him into the other room, wouldn't that be a very risky thing? You could like blow him up. That's true. With his kinetic energy powers. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. He, he's rather large. Um, but yeah, that would be horrible. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think the executives would permit that. <laughs> yeah, we just want to blow one X-Men up. That would be terrible. We killed, we killed Morph in the first episode. <laughs> in the second one, we really, we just destroyed Gambit. We just, he's, he's just gone. He's wow. all over the war room. I, I have, I have two notes here. Uh, one is that uh, it's just their quips are so great. You know, Wolverine, Gambits, Rogues, all their little comments that they make throughout. They're, they're witty. They're funny. Um, it, it makes rewatching so great you know just throughout the episodes they, they keep so consistent with that um and, and wolverine has uh, uh, you know several classics throughout um but i, I just want to point out this moment that happens around this time of the episode where wolverine enters right he enters when everybody's trying to figure out what's the chaos what's happening oh yeah you're okay so we're going to the second episode keep going oh is that second okay okay yeah but get, get okay, what we need so, to get there, so. so he he enters the room with jubilee and when he gets in there, all of a sudden, you know, just immediately he knows, you know, Morph is here. And what I love about the Morph Wolverine uh, friendship and relationship in the series is Morph is one of the only uh, people that brings out that kind of like emotion for Wolverine, that, that Wolverine actually cares about him. Where everybody else, he's always just you know, poking fun and saying, you know, whatever comments he is, but Morph, like he's actually genuine with. And, yeah. uh, and, and that is immediately brought out in him. That emotion comes back to you, um, which I, I love. I love those moments throughout these two episodes. Yeah. And you see it in the first season too, where Wolverine takes it in particularly hard Morph's death, you know? So, you know, but then also you have that moment too, when he's talking to Morph and he's saying, listen, Cyclops was right for the call that he made, you know, because the rest of us could have died, you know, and and it was hard, and I went back for you, and blah, 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 you know, 
but you see him, you see a growth, you see an arc for Wolverine to kind of come to terms with the death of his friend, you know, when we get to this point when, well, Worf is back. So, yeah, there's there's some crazy parts. I was also going to point out that the Friends of Humi- um, Humanity were just going to, they were going to kill Jubilee. They were going to execute her. Mm. If Wolverine didn't show up, like, what you know what i mean like she was a goner man oh, um man. anyway I, i'd even pick that up yeah they're like get rid of her they're like what should we do with her you know it's just like oh my gosh it just it harkens to some really awful stuff you know but it's just like here we go again x-men handling topics that are not on the surface you would you, you would think are for kids right um there's something else that was particularly um, that stood out to me for this the second episode within this two part series or episodes. Scott and Jean, they just they're on the most wonderful honeymoon ever, and they get interrupted by the Nasty Boys and Mister Sinister. <laughs> oh, that that's just um that was awful. That mean, I felt that you know as being a, a, a newlywed, I was like, on my honeymoon, I don't want to deal with this. You know, yep, and all, all the chaos that they experience in their lives, and then then they make this comment, right, that leads right into it of, wow, we're we're a hundred miles away from another person. We're finally alone. <laughs> it's like cue the villains. It's like <laughs> cue oh, something that would be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then um, anything else you want to say about, you know, just the rest of this episode? Oh man. I mean, there, there, there's so many, there's so many good moments. I think the, the big one is that um, it ties back to what you were saying before of kind of like this, this, you know, we're all different, but we're together. There's, there's some sameness. And that's kind of that big moment for morph is that, you know, Cyclops is speaking to, uh, you know, morph belonging to the team, like more, if you belong with us, you're one of the team. And that was kind of the turning point for morph to, you know, to kind of turn around and, and, and help out the team and, and then uh, Cyclops reinforces that, you know, by like, you know, stay away from my friends and yelling that at Mr. Sinister. And and I also, by the way, just love that, you know, just for some reason, Cyclops's blasts are the only thing that really affect Mr. Sinister. And even he's, you know, surprised by it. And um, yeah, that whole, that whole ending was, I think, really a, a great way to finish up the episode. Yeah, and that in particular is one of the things that I went back to as far as the internet to try to figure out, like, why is that the case? Because that is the case in the, um, you know, in the comics. But the only, you know, rationale, the only reason, they don't, they don't have a reason why online. I think it, other than the fact that it's poetic and the fact that in the comics, as well as this, Mr. Sinister is obsessed with the, the Summers line. So he's obsessed with the Summers family and he's obsessed with the Gray family. So that's, and for some reason, it's a poetic thing that Wolverine, or not Wolverine, that Cyclops is like one of the only people who can actually hurt Mr. Sinister. Right. Anyway. And the other thing, is, <laughs> the other note I put is like, Mr. Sinister is very old. <laughs> like he watches them oh, yeah. grow up and everything. And there's an episode like way later on, um, I think in the last season where they, they go back and they, they review uh, Mr. Sinister's origin. Right. And that he was um, in the comics. And I think it's as well in this, that he was, he ran the orphanage that Scott and his brother um, grew up in. Oh, wow. Okay, I missed that. Hmm. So, <clears throat> um, so I, I got a couple just more thoughts in kind of wrapping this up, Jerry. I know 
so long actually talking about the X-Men. And I hope the listeners don't mind because you and I are just geeking out. <laughs> but my my last couple final thoughts is, it's actually a criticism for this episode is one. If Cyclops could break loose, you see him like he breaks loose his arm and then rips off the collar. Why didn't he do it earlier? Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> it should have been it should have been morphed in freedom. Right. After... I, yeah, I don't know. They they could have easily just morphed found a key, morphed found a button, you know, just it, it would have yeah, I, I have no idea why they did that. It would have been better, it would have been more redemptive for morph as well. He could have still run off and done his own thing at the end of the episode, you know. But yeah, I that's one thing I think that they could have changed. They could have made a little bit better, because also it's just, this is how deep I am into the show. It's established that when he, we are wearing that collar, that you know hampers your powers and doesn't let you use it. If you try to rip it off, it's going to blow up, right, and take off your head. Yeah, it's like the, yeah, there there is no real reason to for him to do that as a character, and no real reason in the story of the episode why that needed to happen so yeah yeah i feel like maybe they just they're trying to wrap things up you know in such a way for that episode i guess maybe i don't know yeah. um my other thought is scott and gene do they have to pay for a second wedding you know what they do yeah that's that is awful <laughs> <laughs> that cost there i, I actually have a, I have a pretty funny story um a pastor friend of mine you know, we live in upstate New York and he had a wedding to do down in New York City that, you know, some old members of his church, they asked him to come down to New York City and perform their wedding ceremony, you know. Um, and so he did. And then when it came time to filing the papers, it turns out this is after the wedding, after the honeymoon, um, that actually you have to have a different set of credentials for downstate in New York City in comparison to upstate. So the actual official part of the wedding wasn't wasn't official. Wow. So my question, similar to this, and then they did another little ceremony or whatever. They did a couple things. It was just the family. You know what I mean? He's like, okay, sign here. We already did this, but right. whatever. Scott and Jean. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did Morph do another whammy on them and, and having them enter into their um, marital marital relationship a little early if you know what i'm saying did he did he basically bring them to a, a point of um i don't know you know not not good in the eyes of of the big man upstairs you know well i will say that like scott does show his disappointment you know with saying that they're returning unmarried from their honeymoon um but uh, yeah, I think, I, I, yeah, he did a psychological number on, on them both. I mean, just just to have you're like, whoo, we're done paying for a big wedding. What a relief to be able to put that behind you, and then being told, psych, you know, that's 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 worse than attacking on your honeymoon, you know. Well, and the, and the thing is, like, they're not married, right? In the in the rest of the, the series, if I if I remember. Yeah, I don't think they do. No, it's just yeah, they. They just uh, never, never circled back to that, <laughs> that like, moment in their uh, relationship. <laughs> yeah. like, did you ever want to get married? Nah, it didn't work out too well <laughs> last time. It was a fake priest. 
you know, it's just bound, something bad is bound to happen again. (laughs) The caterer gets upset. You know, my parents don't show up in time. Mr. Sinister crashes the wedding. You know, it's just (laughs) so much could go wrong. Uh, Do you have anything you want to wrap up this, um, our talk about X-Men with? Oh, man. You know, it was great just being able to view these episodes uh, through the lens of getting ready to to discuss them uh, on this podcast, because it, it just allows you to appreciate, um, you know, so many elements you, you may not pick up when you're just casually watching, you know, when you're really just like looking and, and, and seeing all the, the highlighted moments in the story and the characters that that have uh, so many payoffs and so many setups for, for the future. So just well done. One of my favorite shows ever. Um, love it. And uh, yeah, the team did a great job from showrunners to, to the voice cast. Just amazing. Yeah. Um, this is just the height of their popularity as a show. Honestly, we tapped in at the right time to watch it. <clears throat> um, I will say this, a couple of things. The last season of the show animation's not as good they changed some of the voice actors yep. last season is a, is very much a limp but where this episode where this series was so strong in the first second first and second season the third season as we start getting into like the phoenix saga yep. the dark phoenix saga it's huge it's massive <clears throat> um also if you if you're a fan of watching this i do have to say that if you go back and you want to watch all these episodes on disney plus Watch it alongside IMDb because they do mix up a lot of the orders of the cartoon episodes, not only with X-Men, but other series, but it will, especially with this show, because the to be continues are so important on how the, how this series is laid out that you have to watch it in sequential order for a lot of shows. It doesn't matter when you jump in and where you jump in, but this series in particular it is very important to watch it as it was kind of created. Um, so I noticed that from when I looked at the episodes on Disney Plus that they are not sequential to the how it was made. Yeah, and especially with uh, the very end of this episode, these two episodes, which is to be continued, that starts this whole saga of Professor X and Magneto going on their adventures together. Um, yeah, you, you gotta you gotta watch that in order to get the whole story. Yep. And I got to say, this is a final thought. I love this show. I can't rave about it enough. It's my favorite cartoon. Honestly, um, I just I can't I can't say enough about it. Um, there's no show ever in comparison could do a, a to be continued like this, this show. Honestly, even just adult dramas, you know, Walking Dead, whatever, you know, there there is nothing like the to be continued on this series. Yep. They bookend it really well. The two B continues, and the previously on X Men just become have become iconic parts of this whole series. Yep. So I gotta give this a five out of five, hands down, no problem. Five out of five um, claws is what I'm gonna give it. Yep, absolutely. Cool. All right, Jerry, let's get on. <clears throat> let's get on to the the other cartoon that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Bonkers. Uh, you ready? You excited for this? No. <laughs> okay. But yes, um, we, yes. We, we have to, though. I mean, I oh, man. How can we talk about Disney cartoons without talking about Bonkers? 
um, I'll give you guys a little bit of an idea for this. Um, for this cartoon, we ended up watching an episode from season one. It's episode 34 on Disney+. Plus. It's called um, Of Mice and Menace. And the premise of this cartoon is that Bonkers is an out-of-work cartoon star, and he joins up with the Hollywood PD um, to be able to solve crimes and take down cartoon criminals. Um, and this show features a lot of cameos and references to other classic Disney movies and TV characters. And so it's just full of commentary and inside jokes. So if you are a Disney fan, you are bound to think this is okay. Um, all right. So Jerry, what did you, what did you think of what we watched for, wait, let me first ask you this. Do you have any memories of bonkers? Oh, no. And I think I'll have to rely on you a little bit more heavily for this. I may have seen one episode of Bonkers growing up. Like you had the whole lineup of these of these Disney cartoons that were coming out early on with, you know, you had DuckTales and Gummy Bears. Then you had like the Rescue Rangers that came out, followed by like some of my favorites of Darkwing Duck and Tailspin. And then you had a, a few more like towards the end. Oh, then you had Gargoyles as well, which was awesome. Um, yep, yep. And then then you had like, uh, goof troop which is okay and then and then bonkers and i think I, I saw maybe one maybe two episodes and it just it it never it never hit me um mm-hmm. so I, I don't have too many memories of the show besides associating it with this whole lineup and it not being one of my favorites of it yeah i think i may have seen one episode when i would visit my grandma's um yeah it never really clicked for me it's interesting watching it now going back and seeing an episode um yeah and we'll kind of <clears throat> we can kind of get into our thoughts in regards to that but man what another just quintessential amazing opening song right now once again <laughs> once again i had no <laughs> reference point coming into this and i was like okay here we go and then the song opens and <laughs> my note is painful start <laughs> It was just for me it was it was pretty painful and so I, there may be a lot of people who who feel differently and so i totally respect you know someone who loved this obviously i'm picking this up in episode 34 i have not been on the 33 episode journey leading up until this you know amazing moment in the series but uh what well, yeah can you like i think here's here's one thing that's a problem especially with these really disney cartoons like DuckTales, Gummy Bears, Winnie the Pooh, you know, we, we've talked about a few of them. Their songs, I can just pluck out, you know, the danger runs behind you, you know, like from DuckTales, you know, and gotta get up, gotta get moving, like Winnie the Pooh, like I can just pull those songs out. I, I got done listening to the opening song and I was just like, I, I don't, I don't know anything. What was that? I have nothing to cling on to. Yeah, I, I honestly can't even remember the song, and I just saw it last yeah. night. <laughs> it was terrible, honestly. The song was was definitely probably one of the worst parts um, to have to get through, for sure. Um, but Jerry, similar to what we did previously, why don't you give us the synopsis um, of this episode that we watched? Okay. Of Mice and Menace. Go. Pitch All it. right. Once again, I had no idea what was happening. I just knew there was a character named Bonkers. And so essentially you have an elephant 
that is a clown elephant that's jealous of Dumbo's success and has three mice who are supposed to be the three stooges, I guess. And they steal a prop from that's iconic to the Dumbo movie. And then they're being chased by the police and then bonkers takes the mice in because they pretend to be his pets and then they kick him out of the house and then he comes back and then he brings them to the police station and the elephants in jail and the mice are afraid to be eaten by a snake because of the threat of an ele- the elephant and then you know they have to go through uh wrapping up the whole episode with um you know the standoff and and, and trying to find uh how the good guys are going to beat the bad guys at the end beautifully done beautifully done you know what? By that alone, I am I am set and I'm hooked to watch this episode, this series, man. Good job. Yeah, you got that. Um, you know it's it's funny watching this. <clears throat> I feel like, and I I have I you someone would have to do the research on this. I feel like this is more of a spinoff from Roger Rabbit than anything else. Gotcha. You know? Like, like the the inspiration comes directly from Roger Rabbit to make to make the show. Yeah, the the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You right, know where it's right. it's all about you know like it features a cop, a private detective who needs to solve a crime that involves a cartoon character. You know, <clears throat> and I feel like maybe what happened is I wouldn't be surprised if someone said, "Hey, you know, they were trying to do a Who Framed Roger Rabbit." TV show based upon the the hit movie, but because Steven Spielberg was behind the creation of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he was an executive producer, maybe they did not let him go. And within that movie, and as well as this series, you see a lot of references to just Disney lore. You see, you know, you see the carriage from Cinderella within the museum. You have the flag from Dumbo. You know, you have the spaghetti from Lady and the Tramp within this museum. You know, and I'm and I'm just like this. Really feels like it's trying to do Who Framed Roger Rabbit, you know, five years later or whenever. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole show came across like that, and obviously, this is just one episode, but it it leaned so heavily on other properties. It it leaned on, you know, of course, just the star power of Disney, and you could throw in any Disney character at any time. You know, there's so many references to to Disney movies and characters throughout it. You have the Three Stooges that is kind of an essential part of trying to make the episode work. Um, You have you have his neighbor who's essentially Porky Pig, but just as a dog um, who who comes over. And then, yeah, like you're saying, that's a that's a good uh, point about uh, Roger Rabbit. Um, So that's why I'm like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh, man, like I it's hard to judge the whole series, but if, if it's like this, just kind of like trying to ride the, the power, the star power of other properties. I don't know if it's really going to last. Yeah. Though I will say <clears throat> who framed Roger rabbit still holds up. That's an amazing movie. If you haven't gone, if you haven't watched it recently, if it is on Disney plus go back check it out. It's awesome. And it still holds up as a great movie. So, okay. Where this limps and is not great in comparison, um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is is phenomenal, just acro- across the board, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's a couple things that I, I had questions on. 
from just this episode not being too familiar, is there a romance between Bonkers and his partner? Okay, so I was, you know, once again, I have no idea what to expect from the show. And so I'm just seeing an elephant and mice. And I know Bonkers, uh, like a bobcat. And then all of a sudden there's all these humans. And I'm like, oh. And when they go to the police station, I'm like, oh, there's tons of humans in this as well. And I'm like, maybe I have to watch like the first episode or something like this to find out what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's one of so many questions of, is there a romance between Bonkers and the woman slash where the other animals and where are the other humans? I, I, don't, I don't know what was happening. We're going we're gonna to really do our good justice like we did for this episode, you know, with X-Men in comparison to this, I feel like, you know. Um, yeah it's 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 rough it's there's there's a there's some things i liked about it i thought there were some things that were witty and fun um i liked that the mice names were eeny meeny and mo i thought that was cute um especially with mo and the three stooges you definitely get that oh, feel, like okay. you said before. i missed the eeny meeny um okay and then also, I loved that when Bonkers has these three mice as his pets, and he's trying to say, you know, hey, I can take care of things. I can, I can have a, you know, have people in my life or have, you know, significance to something else. And and so he, he wants to be a parent to these pets. And then he keeps dressing them up, and he keeps dressing up the one as like a girl because he's in his he thinks that it's a girl. <laughs> so he got like he dresses them up as like. The other two is Mickey Mouse, and he dresses the other one up as Minnie. I just found that reoccurring joke so funny, and just made me laugh every time. You know? Yeah, the, there's some there's some jokes that hit and jokes that didn't. So one of the things I liked at the beginning is I did like that the elephant had like an automatic machine gun kind of thing, but it shot peanuts. And as mm-hmm. he's shooting the peanuts, there's shells falling out. You know, that's like de-shelling the peanuts as a shooting. I'm like, that's pretty good. And then the cop makes some kind of, you know, quip about them being unsalted or something. But I thought that was just like, a, I was like, that's pretty good. I, I like that. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, honestly, with some of these shows, the gags can really redeem a lot, you know. Um, and I think some of the gags work, mm-hmm. like you said. There's some things that I still have questions on. How do you handcuff an elephant? And if you put handcuffs on the elephant, oh yeah, do you have control of the situation? That's exactly what's going through my mind. I'm like, what's what's happening? Where do you get this? <sighs> yeah, I mean, the, but I was also the the, Go ahead. the other the other like element where they they pulled from another property was when the the mice are kicking him out of his own house, and he goes through this wily coyote, you know, try to get back in his house, and it's just you know, and it's entertaining in the sense of like that kind of thing is slightly entertaining, but it still is like hanging on what someone else came up with as an entertaining idea. And it didn't deliver as well. Oh yeah. This that's absolutely in my notes that this is very much Looney Tunes. It's very much him trying to get into his house and the mice thwarting his plans. And then again, it's also when they go to the jail cell and the the mice are trying to break out the elephant. And their plans keep getting thwarted. It's just, it's kind of like, I don't know. They, they're like, let's just keep kind of dipping into this well. Because we just kind of have gag after gag after gag. Like you would with 
Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, like you would with Sylvester and Tweety. It was very much just Looney Tunes. Yeah. And one of the things that stuck out to me is that when you have like crazy things that don't make sense in cartoons, there's a way for those to land and a way for them where they don't. Like, for example, there's this one moment where the elephant's cornered and there's no way out. And so he takes off his little tiny hat and pulls out an anvil and throws the anvil at, at them. And I'm like, okay, that was kind of funny, you know, because it's just out of nowhere. But there's other things that just like don't land at all. And you're just kind of like waiting for that yeah. that part to move on or something. Um, and, and they had a lot of cut scenes that kept cutting from like, you know, things happening to bonkers or, you know, over and over and over again with the helicopter at one point or, you know, the, with the with the mice at another point. But they weren't they were so disjointed. It didn't even like make any sense at all. And so you, you could even mm-hmm. follow the chaos or follow the the goofiness. And it, yeah, it just stuck out to me that there's a way to do that where it makes no sense, but it's still funny. And then another, another words, just so chaotic that it doesn't even have any flow to it. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I think this definitely did not flow in that way. I mean, it, it felt like it was trying to do Looney Tunes in that same way. It just it wasn't as good. It was trying to be Disney and Looney Tunes at times. And I think like if we were to look at that animation era, as far as comedy shows like or cartoon comedies that we kind of gone through, you know, thinking about Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, this is very much at the tail end. And we can see where the drop-off point was, you know, from these classic cartoons and say, uh, not even, honestly, Jim Cummings voicing Bonkers was enough to, like, redeem the show, you know, and make it worth watching, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's what we were saying uh, towards the beginning of the episode of, you know, the cartoons just went into this, like, sugar rush, you know, kind of thing where it just, it, it just stayed in, in chaos mode um and it, it was just a little bit too much where you think of looney tunes where it, obviously it's goofy and wacky but it, it gives it gives time to breathe and you know time for things to develop so when it is wacky it pays off and it's actually either funny or or creative or something but yeah this is an example of the cartoons going that direction where it's just you know sugar and craziness and running around and I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's me sounding old too, but it's just it, way too much for it to be entertaining enough. Where it's like, oh, I got to watch that. Like, even Animaniacs for me, you know, was was at least a little bit more balanced, and that was crazy. <laughs> right, right. That was yeah. crazy. Um, okay, so Jerry, um, would you recommend this show? Are you going to go back and watch all you know the previous thirty three episodes after watching Bond? You know what? No. <laughs> I will not be watching this show. I honestly, I might be tempted to watch the first episode just to even have an idea of what is the, the premise that they're trying to set up. Cause you know, I just watched one random one. So I would actually be interested in that. And maybe that would have some kind of redeeming value, but no, I won't be watching the rest of the episodes. <clears throat> I will probably, you know, this is, this is not a great thing to say about for me, but I'm a completist in the sense that I probably will begrudgingly go and watch it and maybe I'll find some redeemable episodes where I go, that was actually pretty good. So I know our friend Patrick, he might think I, he might be listening to this right now going, you guys picked the wrong episode. (laughs) He did that with, with me and um, Tim Whitaker when we talked about gummy bears, because man, we ripped gummy bears apart, me and Tim. Um, So. Okay. 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 
Um, <clears throat> all right. So that's actually going to wrap up our conversation on Saturday morning cartoons for this week. Jerry, I got to thank you for coming on. Um, is there anything that you want the listeners to know about anything that you want to plug? Oh man. It's for Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> and, and yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Wake up early on Saturday, kids. <laughs> When you're in your mid thirties, you'll you'll look back fondly on those moments. <laughs> well done. That's true. All right, Jerry, thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Thanks for having me, man. This is awesome. All right. Bye bye. All right, so that is this week's episode of Extreming Disney. Um, thank you, thank you everybody for tuning in. Again, I'm still kind of nursing this head cold of mine, so if I sound still a little bit rough, I'm sorry. Um, mainly what I wanted to do, that being the end of the show, is fill you in on what we're going to be doing next week for the show. Um, first of all, make sure you check out the, the episode that will be coming out this Friday where we break down all the news pieces. I've already recorded some of that already with Jerry to talk about the WandaVision trailer and to talk about the casting of She-Hulk. So all exciting stuff. Tune in for that. But a week from today, you'll be getting a new episode of Extreming Disney where I have a returning guest come on for a special guest choice episode. And to do that, my returning guest is none other than Marge Merzig. Marge said she would come back on the show and she said she wanted to talk about a live action Disney movie from her childhood that she remembers from when she was younger. And so she chose Old Yeller. That's right, everybody. Bust out the tissues. It's time to watch Old Yeller. Watch it in the next week and listen to the show as we break it down. All right, everybody, that's it for this week. I will see you again on Extreming Disney. Bye-bye.